Hey friends, morning, happy Advent. Uh, we find ourselves here in this second Sunday of Advent, though the first Sunday we're together during Advent. Um, Advent, which uh, literally means coming or arrival, is a is a season defined by waiting. Uh, we wait for the coming uh, of Christ. We celebrate that birth of Christ on Christmas morning. But it's not just waiting for that day. It's also this uh, cosmic sort of big picture waiting. We're waiting for all things to be made right. And the, the developers of the Christian calendar were, were savvy uh, in that they matched the Christian calendar with the rhythms of the season. So Easter, the resurrection is celebrated when flowers are blooming, when life is coming out of the death of winter. And Advent, the season of waiting, is um, in the longest, coldest part of the year. We're waiting for light to shine into the darkness of long days. We're waiting for warmth uh, to come into the coldness. Uh, we're waiting for those flowers uh, to bloom. And this year, Advent seems... Um, Seems appropriate. As, as I feel like we've been in a year of waiting. We're uh, waiting for a vaccine. Uh, we're waiting, uh, to hug, to hug loved ones uh, that we haven't been able to hug. We're waiting to even be able to give hugs to people we normally don't like to hug. That's how bad it's been. Uh, we're waiting, um, we're waiting to see smiles uh, behind masks. Uh, we're waiting for justice, particularly for uh, brothers and sisters of color. Uh, we are in a perpetual season of waiting, and so Advent feels really appropriate this year. And waiting especially for some kind of good news. And I've been wondering, um, where do we go to look for good news? When we need a good word, where do we go? Uh, I look at the news every morning on my phone, and that's a terrible place to go for good news. Uh, just this morning, I looked and uh, took a little inventory, and the top 15 things that came across my Apple's, Apple News Feed were all, um, uh, as you might guess, not the most cheerful topics. Uh, at 16 was that monolith thing that keeps showing up around the world, so that's a little bit of good news, I suppose. Uh, so the news is a bad place to go for good news. Uh, we could go to church for good news, um, but um, I, I have to confess my uh, moral hope in Christians uh, has taken a bit of a blow recently, and so I'm not always sure if, if church is the best place to go for good news. Um, I often turn to music, uh, but my Melancholy 4 always picks really the most depressing kind of music, so that's not a good option. And so I was grateful uh, when Mark spoke up today, um, just in time, he speaks up and he points to this prophet, this one named Isaiah. See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. And Isaiah points us to this man in the wilderness this is the beginning of the good news of the one we follow, Jesus Christ. And this one that Mark points to, that then points to John the Baptist, he doesn't really seem like the kind of person I'd want to go to for good news. 
Uh, I like my newscasters to have a suit and tie, uh, not a, um, a vest of camel hair. Um, I don't want honey and locusts hanging out in the broadcaster's uh, beard. Um, how do you receive news from a man who, quite frankly, doesn't seem uh, very kept together? But here he is, nonetheless, and he's receiving all of these folks from the Judean countryside. And it makes me wonder, what were they looking for? In what ways were they in need of good news? Was there a first century pandemic going on? Was there a disruptive election cycle? Why were they going? And why were they going to the margins, out to the wilderness? It's not the place you really go um, to receive forgiveness. It's not the place you go for baptism. You're supposed to go to the temple for those sorts of things. But there they are. Mark begins his gospel pointing to the wilderness because the wilderness, the margins, where people least expect it, is always the place where God shows up. Um, God does not break in at centers of power or prestige or popularity. God breaks in at the margins. It's through um, an unwed teenage girl named Mary. It's through a manger. Uh, usually uh, reserved for animals. It's through ordinary bread and cup. Um, This is the good news. And the truth is, when I've experienced good news in my life, um, more times than not, it's always been at the margins. Uh, I think of the good news I received at a soup kitchen in Bellingham as I sat with people like Mark and Dave and Betty uh, folks who had been on the streets for most of their adult life. And I received the good news of resilience and, and courage and hope um, gathered at that table. I think of the good news I received in Tuba City, Arizona, on the Navajo Reservation, as I learned from uh, folks what it means to love creation and give um, others dignity um, And to hear it and to receive it from people who hadn't been extended the same kind of dignity, particularly from our country, um, was moving. It was overwhelming. It was good news. I think of good news received in a village in Togo, West Africa, where having or needing or acquiring the next thing didn't seem to cross the minds of the people as they sang, as they shared, as they lived life together. I think of good news received in a local PTA meeting with the weirdest group of people you could ever imagine um, who are there to love kids and provide as best they can for most of the kids who um, were below the poverty line. The good news that we wait for is um, not um, at the center. It's not positions of power and prestige. Good news is always found in those places and people that others write off. Um, that others deemed unworthy, um, that others have pushed to the side. And even when I turn inwards, um, I find that it's at the margins of my own life uh, that I have experienced good news. When uh, I wasn't quite deserving of being loved, and yet someone held me. When I didn't really deserve forgiveness, and yet they spoke the words, I forgive you. Um, it was at the margins of my faith when I was done with God uh, that others held me in faith. Um, it was at the margins of my own literal life in the hospital where there are these moments in the wilderness where God shows up. And my hunch is 
that I'm not alone. My hunch is that you also have experienced good news at the margins out in the wilderness. And so I'm curious if we could share a little bit. Uh, where have we experienced good news uh, in the margins of our lives, either uh, in the margins of our interior life or margins of the world around us? Go ahead and put your name in the chat. And I'm curious if we can't share some stories together about finding good news at the margins. Go for it, Julie. Oh, sorry, Val, you go first. I didn't, I didn't mean for Julie to cut in line. Sorry, I think we we both hit into at the same time. Um, uh, mine are two that are very similar, um, but uh, as most of you guys know, I've dealt with panic disorder, panic attacks, anxiety, depression. And one of them was uh, several years ago, I was sitting in the parking lot at work in the morning and I was having <laughs> such a hard time. I couldn't get out of my car. Um, and I remember I called one of my good friends and coworkers, um, Mercy, and she answered the phone and I was like, I'm outside, can you come help me? And she came and sat with me in my car and held my hand and helped me get into the building. Um, and that was very good news. And then similarly, when I was also having a difficult time after Eloise was born, it was early in the morning, and um, I texted my huddle girls and Sarah Holland um, said she would be at my house in two minutes and um, showed up while we were, you know, what, like 7 or 7.30 in the morning and showed up and um, hugged me and sat with me and um, those were both moments of really, really great. Thanks, Val. Did you say your coworker's name was Mercy? Her name is Mercedes, but she goes by Mercy, yes. That's great. That feels really appropriate. Uh, Julie. Let's get over some. Okay, so this isn't about me personally, but I just read this this week and it's just stuck with me so much as um something that was so encouraging. I had seen this story on the news of a family in Dallas that lived in South Dallas that, um, you know, kind of on the margins of poverty and um, both parents had lost their jobs with COVID and they are virtually schooling both kids. Um one of them had gotten COVID and had not recovered well, was having lots of lingering side effects. And the family had just, I mean, the amount of unemployment they were living on was so unbelievably low. It was like the whole family, I think they qualified for $470 a month. And um, they had been selling off like everything that they owned for to pay their rent. Like the reporter that goes in their apartment, it's like they've sold their furniture, you know, just all of this. And so the, WFA reporter took it on her to start a GoFundMe for them. And the family was like, you know, if we could just get enough money to pay our rent, you know, that's just to give us one month where we're not, they were preparing to transition to homelessness on the street. And so this WFA reporter starts this um, GoFundMe fund for him. And I was like, let's just go see how this is going. Like if people are skeptical of this or not. And like, let me see if I can get this really close to you guys. Can you see that? Um, it's kind of blurry, but 
They set out to raise $20,000 for the family and they raised $453,000. And I watched a little follow-up interview and um, the family was going around and making sure other people in their apartment complex had their rent all caught up and their utilities all caught up, seeing how they could help them. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is like 453 and it's like, not a lot of don not a lot of big donors. It's just thousands and thousands of people. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I really needed some faith in humanity today that people would, you know, really step in and that this family was like, how can we help other people? This is way more than we needed. And it just like got me in the getter, you guys. I I just it's the sweetest family. And I just was like, oh, thank you, God. That's so great. Thanks, Julie. I have a colleague who sends me um good stories and she always says people are the best which is a phrase I've never said in my life. Um, but it, but it's true. Uh, people can be uh, the best. Thank you so much for sharing that. Sharon. I love that story. Thanks. I'm like, Ooh, now, now I like already feel better than I did five minutes ago. But, um, so mine is personal, just thinking this year about just like opening up with friends and being vulnerable about, I deal with a lot of fear in general in my life. And so I guess that feels like when you said margins, like that feels margin to me, because it's not like the thing that you want to like display about your life. (laughs) You know, there's like the things that you want people to like see and know, and then there's like this stuff. Um, And so this year has been a year of like being more vulnerable and like allowing people to know what my fears are and then seeing like how many people like meet me in that or comfort that or like talking about it actually makes that fear go away or finding out that I'm not alone. And like these crazy little places of my life that um just feeling like really cared for in that and seeing like in very different ways, like what, what people are willing to do. Um But like, like willing to encourage or to be there or to help or whatever. And so it just feels not so alone which is obviously a big thing for this year. So that's cool. That's great. Thanks so much for sharing that, Sharon. Uh, Kara? I love listening to all of these, by the way. This is wonderful, a wonderful way to spend your weekend. Um, yeah, a couple for me. I think that all of us have felt the the weight of this year and all of the events. And I've just felt like this constant dissonance being like trapped here in this like beautiful, but really hard, ugly place where I live and seeing really horrible things a lot of a lot of suffering because of all of the economic situation and so 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 many abuse cases this year more than I've ever seen before um and at the same time being able to do like to be able to do something about it and um seeing like similar to what Julie shared just such generosity and uh in the midst of chaos in the world and it's it's like I said it's kind of like a dissonant situation where it's like really wonderful but really terrible but really wonderful at the same time and then um also like like I said kind of being trapped here being aware trapped but not really trapped like I have a choice but I'm choosing to be trapped here and um about to have a baby 
which is like really great, but it's also really weird <laughs> because it's just a really weird and hard place to be in right now. But um, there's a lot of good in it very much outweighs and it's a choice it very much out, outweighs the bad this year. It's great. Thanks, Kara. John. Yeah. When I was on the margins, I was living in the Dallas life foundation, homeless shelter near downtown. And I'm grateful for the rides of the storyline people that t- took me there and back to, to attend. I remember the uh, first winter coming up on that did Charles and then later on, Paul gave me a really heavy coat and gloves and a hat, and that was very, very useful. Um, especially appreciated the times that they subsidized and took me to uh, Camp Copaz because my life, that was just a super gigantic highlight. And I will tell you again, Laura, Lauren, that that was the highlight of my life was a time that we did that uh, acapella singing around the campfire. Um, and then y'all prayed hard for a year as I was struggling to, to get uh Section 8 housing to line up for me. I mean, it's qualified, but there was no vacancies anywhere in all of Dallas. And so toward the very, very end, uh, I uh, checked out Ennis. There was an opening and God made a way for the, uh, the, the, uh, the, I was, I was, I was like 18th on the list. I talked to the manager and Darlene said, there's something about you. I don't know what it is. And she, she had to drive from Ennis to Dallas three times to square me up to come here. And now, so I got to come here, which was the last day of my third renewal of my extension. Um, and all I wanted to do, I'd been living three years on a, on a cot and says, all I want is an air mattress. I don't really want to sleep on the floor. I had, I had a, a backpack and a duffel bag. That's all I had. A bunch of junk and a bunch of books and storage, which is, yeah, pay hundreds of dollars for, for book storage. Um, and so, and so I, I was happy to get a ride here. What I didn't expect that Julie, uh, and, and Paul had done through, through Storylines funding was give me all basic furniture. So I got a bed and a table and a chair and, uh, I forget stools and all kinds of basic furniture and bedding and shower curtains. I went, it was a blowout. I'm, I just, I just glad to get out of the shelter for God's sakes and, uh, give on my own. So that was, that's a, Big wow. Yeah. Thanks, John. Grateful for you, buddy. Uh, who's next? Daryl? Actually, it's me and Terry, but, uh, there is one that a, a memory just came to me when you were talking about when you were sharing that, uh, uh, Ben, um, back in Kiev, uh, Ukraine. I was sitting on this on Grishatik Street, uh, just sitting there, uh, I, we were waiting on something. My interpreter had left. Uh, my employee had left and had uh, gone somewhere else. So I'm just sitting drinking a cup of, of hot tea. And there's a little babushka uh, there, a little grandmotherly type figure. And you see these ladies at times with a cup, a solo cup, uh, collecting money. You know, just there, you know, people don't realize Ukraine is not, really a developed nation. It's still a developing nation, even though it appears to be very sophisticated in many ways. Um, so I'm watching this lady as she's standing and, and interacting and, and occasionally someone will drop something in it. And there's this one woman dressed in black. She was a young, um, probably thirties, maybe 
maybe late thirties. She was in, she was in a hurry. And, but she just pauses for a moment and, and drops something in the woman's cup. And before she can hurry on, the woman just gently took her hand and placed her hand on her head and prayed. And the woman stopped and let her pray. And I don't know. I, I don't know the backstory. I don't know any of it, but that just touched me and struck me as uh, a woman trying to be nice uh, with little thought, it seems, but yet is blessed at the same time uh, uh, by this little babushka. Uh, so it was just kind of, kind of neat to, to see that. And Terry. It's there, Terry. I love, you know, one of the hardest times for me and Daryl was when he didn't have a, well, we didn't have a job for a year and a half. Um, and that was a very hard time. Um, but I have seen so much good come out of that as far as being able to minister to others. And this week, um, y'all know that I call families and they, it's there. It usually has to do with the child, um, that the parent needs some support around. And this week, um, it, it, I don't know why I put on my tracker to call this parent on the fourth. Um, but I did and I called her and, it was a 50 minute conversation that she apologized to me for. Um, but, um, you know, sometimes it's, I call them God moments when it's very evident that God orchestrated, orchestrated what, you know, orchestrated it. And this was a family that dad is on furlough and, um, they, she told me they didn't even know how they were going to pay their rent f- for the month. And it, when she mentioned God, I knew it opened a door to walk through with her. And so I walked through it with her and, um, I was able to share some of our story with her. Um, and to, and it's not about me. It's about, it's all about God and give her some hope for this month and God's faithfulness and, and to, for her to keep hanging on and trusting him through it. And, um, it just right before I got off, she, well, she apologized that she took up so much of my time. And of course, my job to me is a ministry. And it, it was just like, I needed you to call me exactly today. No other day I needed it today. And, um, I think all of the stories that everybody sh- has shared today is to me, those are all God moments. It's, it's all orchestrated by God. Yeah. Thanks, Terry. That's great. Uh, Bonnie. I have two similar stories that just kind of popped out as I was listening. Um, both are when I've been traveling on my own. Uh, the first was when I was living in Costa Rica. I was at the airport late at night to pick up my parents who are coming to visit me. And I'd never been on this. I was in and I'd never been on this route. And so I asked someone for help and the, um, she, told me where to go, talked to the bus driver because she had to get off before me, made sure that the bus driver was going to help me get off because she said, this is not a great part of town. And when I got off the bus, I realized, oh, it's not a good part of town. And so I'm trying to quickly walk the next stop and get on another bus. And a pair of women see me walking on my own and they immediately ask, what are you doing here by yourself? Each one put their arm in mine. They walk me to the bus station to make sure I arrive there 
on oh, like and get on my way. And it's just having people go out of their way to make sure that I arrive. I mean, that just, they were my guardian angels for sure in that moment. And a similar one in Colombia, the, the bus had shut down. And so I had to take a different route to get back. And I just often asked women, you know, can you tell me what direction, what bus I should take? And it was a huge transportation nightmare because they had had a major accident. And so they went to so many different bus bus stops asking back here. They ended up changing their route. They came with me on the bus, paid for my and waited for me to get another route. And at the end, when I finally got back to where I needed to be, I said, you know, thank you so much. You went out of your way. You spent an hour and a half buses that you didn't need to be on. And they just told me, when you talk about coming to Columbia, tell them this story because there are good people in Colombia. We don't want to just be for Pablo Escobar or for violence. Like there are good people. And so that was a shining moment of, People are good. I know you don't say it, Ben, but people are good. People are the best. <laughs> Thanks, Bonnie. Hey, I don't want to. I don't want to move too quickly past this because um, my my hunches others have um, thought of moments in which they have experienced good news at the margins. So I want to give us just a little bit more time for those who um, haven't shared but have something perhaps to share. And if my hunch is wrong, then we'll just sit in silence for a moment or two. Charles. Uh, so I was one of those people. My story, this is appropriate because Kara's going to be sharing about Project Red later, but uh, for whatever reason, a story came to mind of a time we went on uh, a trip uh, to El Salvador and I, we went somewhere north of San Salvador um, and it was like an hour long trip and we went to visit a family and the mama matriarch, they kind of had a, um, a little, um, a convenience store inside the front of their apartment. And I cannot remember her name. Kara probably knows who I'm talking about, but, um, they had a convenience kind of a store in the front of their apartment. And then they took us kind of to their back porch and their, their house kind of butted up right next to uh, like a Pentecostal church. And I think it was like a Sunday afternoon and there was like worship music blaring, you know, kind of get the, the feel the beat through. I mean, we were literally at the margins of the religious institution, you know, right here, right on the other side of the wall. And we're, we're, we all sit down and, um, we're listening through, uh, Kara, uh, this mama, this woman who has several children kind of tell the story of how, um, even, even with her limited resources and the way that she was kind of scraping to provide for her own family, that she had decided to, uh, take another kiddo in who uh, would otherwise be in really bad shape and kind of be left, um, on their own. And, and yet, e- even in the midst of the limitations of her resources, um, 
deciding to do that and just making it work. Uh, and I just remember in that moment thinking like, I mean, this, here I am in the corner, you know, in this crevice of the world, you know, at the, at the margins. And I mean, this was a saint of a woman. This is God, uh, at work. This is exactly where God is, uh, uh, in this moment. I was just so blown away and, um, impacted by that little moment. Thanks, Charles. Anyone else? Go for it, Walker. You're muted. I'm muted. Okay, now I'm unmuted. Um, I don't exactly know how this connects. Uh, 100%, but I've been like silently weeping for minutes upon end. So I figured I, I should just go ahead and share. Um, when, uh, when Jen said that, uh, Aiden was back and that Ben, you had gone to get him. Um, I just, I don't know. It just touched something in my heart because I went to A&M and I didn't have a car. My dad would come and get me and, he hated it so much <laughs> and he would tell me how awful it was. It was the worst drive ever. Um, and he kept track of all the gas money and where on the car that he spent. And then at the end of my school, I paid him back for it because he gave me a bill of all the money they'd spent on things like that. And it's just like a huge wound in my heart sometimes. And it's not the kind of thing that you ever, like, nobody sits around and talks about, did your parents hate coming to pick you up? Did your parents give you a bill (laughs) of the times they came to pick you up? And I've never, like, really, I've never felt like, okay, well, what what does that look like in a normal family? Do normal, in normal families, do people just go and, you know, pick their kids up and not give them a bill? (laughs) And, um... It just struck me how you guys, and we talk about storyline being spiritual family, and like, to me, that's what you guys are, because in so many ways, y'all are like the examples of family that I've never had, and that I never knew that I could ask for, um, that I never knew that I could talk to people about, um, and I just, I just appreciate you guys so much. Um, all of you like being open with your lives and being open with, um, your experiences and how it just, um, teaches me so well. So anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, thanks. Um, thanks for sharing Sarah and for the ways. Um, you are consistently good news to those on the margins, uh, which includes lots of us. We give thanks. Last call. Go for it, Patrick. So Sarah, thank you for sharing that. Um, just another, maybe a little bit more lighthearted parent story. I used to work construction in the summers in high school and college. 
And uh, I worked with this guy that was, he would lose teeth because he had um, a meth problem. He had been to jail for meth. Just, he would, we'd go, uh, we'd go deposit our checks on payday and he'd, he'd drive us there and he'd walk in the bank and he'd say, don't worry, I'm not here to rob the place. And I mean, everybody would like turn around and huge character, <laughs> but all throughout that summer, he would, um, occasionally like buy me and my brother lunch. Um, and he, he had nothing. He's, I'm sure he spent all his money on drugs. Um, but he, I remember him, we were like digging a ditch. We were putting the foundation in of a building and we were down in this ditch and he said, uh, don't make the same mistake that I did. Um, always tell your parents like how, how appreciative you are of them and take them out to dinner every, like just take them out to dinner once a year. Um, and show your parents how much you love them because they're not always going to be around and you're going to wish they were. Um, and you know, when you're in high school and you're in college, you know, your parents aren't always on, you know, you're not always on the best terms, I guess, with your parents, uh, for what, you know, whatever reasons, but that has always stuck with me that this guy that was just, I mean, like the biggest character, like the, the roughest looking guy you've ever seen, um, had, had a heart like that to not only like, you know, pick up me and my brother's lunch, um, but to, you know, tell us to take our parents out to dinner and to, you know, to treat our parents with respect. Um, for whatever reason, that's always stuck with me as a guy that was completely on the margins that gave us that message. Thanks, Patrick. I said last call last time, but this will actually be the last call. In the spring of 2017, shortly after I moved here, I spent a week in D.C. Um, doing some research for work, and uh, I had some connections with folks who were connected to the uh, Church of the Savior in Washington, D.C. Uh, one of them has been a, a good friend, dear friend for a long time. And uh, it was during uh, the Wednesday that I was there was Ash Wednesday. And so my friend uh, Becca wanted to do Ashes to Go uh, on this corner of a really busy street in Washington, D.C. And she invited my, me and another person to go with her and do the imposition of ashes on a street corner with a sign that just said ashes to go. And those who know me well know that's the last thing on God's earth that I would ever really willingly do. But I didn't want to be seen as a bad Christian. Uh, so I begrudgingly went... Uh, and it was uh, like, like when it began, when we stood there and had this poster board that said ashes to go and some people asked questions and uh, if I felt embarrassed uh, and really wishing that I, I had something else to do and somewhere else to be. 
but then a, a line started forming. And, and it was a mix of all these different people. Um, business folk in three-piece suits with an overcoat. Um, um, those that I'm, I'm guessing were um, homeless or near um, being without a home. And I don't, I don't know how it, how or when it happened, but it, it came to the point where everyone who um, was next, their eyes were full of tears. Um, and, and people said, I, I haven't been to church in a long time, but I need this. Um, And there was there was something about uh, the, the shared experience of wanting to be seen, um, the shared experience of wanting to hope that there's something out there that's good um, blew me away. It eradicated all sense of embarrassment. Uh, or fear. Um, it, it was good news. The margins in in a season in a year where we desperately need good news. Uh, this truth remains that God comes in at the margins. That we wait not only uh, for Christmas Day and to celebrate the birth of Christ, we wait for all things to be made right, and we know it will happen because we've experienced it. Um, God has met us uh, in unexpected places, in the wilderness of our own lives, and has held us. And even if the moment is fleeting, it is the moment we continue to proclaim. It's the moment we look back on. It is the moment that we say to the world, God is good. Good news is coming. Um, death doesn't get the last word. Uh, I don't. I don't know. It, it felt strange for me this week working on this sermon because I found myself hopeful. Uh, I found myself uh, like thinking, people are great. I found myself thinking um, there is some goodness in the world. Uh, I, I, I tend towards not feeling those things. I, I tend towards avoiding them. In fact, um, uh, but it's just not true. Uh, there is good news. And I, I want to say sermon's done. I'm just going to meddle for a second. Um, I can't put into words uh, the ways you've been good news to me and to my wife and to my kids. Um, when, when we are at the margins of our marriage, um, Uh, I give thanks to God um, for each of you. Uh, you are a reminder that God's not done, uh, that all things will be made right. So I'm grateful for y'all.
Um, here, awkward transition to Charles, who's going to take over mission prayers.